Uh, so grab your Bibles out. Um, open up to uh, Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. So um, like I uh, alluded to earlier, uh, talk about a friend. That's the title of this group of scriptures is A Friend. But we'll start in a, uh, I guess, a seemingly odd place. Um, but Proverbs chapter 30 and uh, we'll read one verse here, verse 12, just to kind of uh, uh, make it clear from the word go. Um, Proverbs chapter 30, excuse me, and verse 12. And it says here, there is a generation, or you could just read there is a people, you know, um, there is a people that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. Um, and it's uh, another way you could say it is, look, uh, people uh, do what they think is right and uh, they justify. I mean, we're all human beings. We all do it. I mean, I still do it many times and I'm surprised at how many times I do it. Um, just uh, trying to argue around that what I've done was right, uh, even though the consequences of it may not have been right. Um, so it's natural in human beings to uh, justify that they are they're fine and what they do is fine, and uh, but it uses the word pure. There's a pure. There's a generation of people that are pure in their own eyes, and yet they're not washed from their filthiness. So uh, in uh, in their own mind, they think they're doing what's right. They think uh, they are righteous, right, pure, um, perfect in their own way, and yet they don't realise they're not actually washed from their filthiness. It says elsewhere that uh, the righteousness, uh, our righteousnesses, uh, are like filthy rags, are like dirty before the, before the Lord. And so uh, what this uh, embodies here is in the nature of mankind, no matter how, how hard you try to be right and how you think that you're pure and you do the right thing, you're still dirty in the eyes of the Lord. You're still not washed. It's actually impossible for a human being to be pure uh, in their own strength. They need to be washed by another way, by another means. And, uh, and so we're talking about a, a friend here, and, uh, and it's like this, in this one verse, it kind of describes that mankind is so far away from being clean. And God wants to come forward and be a friend. I can close the door if you want. No, it's okay. okay. Uh, come close and be a friend and do the washing. Uh, do the washing for us. Uh, and that as well, it actually it takes a lot of pressure off us, you know, so that each day we're not trying to be good, trying to be pure, you know, and then we make a mistake. Ah, adult, it's annoying. You know, I was trying to be pure, but I still was, didn't uh, meet the mark which is what sin is. And so it, it, it's actually uh, pressure off our shoulders where, hey, look, we've been washed by God himself. It's no longer up to us. Um, of course, there are, as we'll read, there are commandments and things we need to do, uh, but the Lord is the one that makes us clean. So Genesis chapter 1, we'll read a few verses in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, just to prove a point. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 24. 
Genesis chapter 1 and verse 24. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind. So uh, in other words, they will reproduce uh, in the likeness of their uh, the ones that uh, produce them, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind and cattle after their kind and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So this here is uh, what we know of as uh, the sixth day of creation, sixth period of time, where in that uh, he spoke and uh, created uh, animals, and it also says here on that sixth day he spoke and created mankind, um, man and woman, so that then they could produce after their own kind also. But here, what was special about human beings is God, as it says in verse 27, God created man in his own image, okay, in his own image. Um, And I was thinking about this is like, um, I mean, an artist, you know, paints things, obviously, or some artists paint things, and let's say they paint a self-portrait of themselves, you know, they would not like someone else defacing it or doing so because it's of themselves. They put all the effort in. It's what they want projected of themselves. And they've created it in their own image. And God did the same with us. He cares for us because he created us in his image. He's vested in us in that way. And that's what that implies, that uh, there's a care for human beings. And when it says in his own image, doesn't mean that uh, God has um, eight fingers, two thumbs, two arms, eyes. It doesn't mean that. It's the character. Like God is a spirit. And it's by the movement of the spirit that things were created. And so he's given us a conscience. He's given us uh, ability to love as he loves, hate as he loves, uh, kind as he is kind, um, fearful as well. All these emotions and feelings are in the image of God. And the flip side is that if this is the case, we as people can actually understand the character of God because we have the same character. You know, oh, uh, we can understand that, hey, look, God does want a friend. God does not want to be alone because that's how we are. And so this bizarre thing happens. Yeah, God has empathy on us because we're in his image, but we have empathy on him too. Because we understand him, because that's how we are, right? And so uh, there's that aspect there. And so then after all the uh, creative effort, God had a break. Uh, He was worn out. Seventh day, he had a rest. And then after that, there was a different uh, episode of creation where God uh, created uh, Adam and Eve. And we go to chapter 2 
and uh, verse 18. Sorry, beg your pardon, I thought I was going to read earlier. So the difference between the human beings created in day six is uh, it was the movement of the spirit, God spoke and they were there. Adam and Eve were formed out of the dirt after day seven. So it was a separate uh, creation thing here with Adam and Eve. And um, so you could say God was like a sculpture, sculptor, and, uh, and forming them. And it also says that uh, he formed uh, more animals out of the ground as well, which we'll read. Verse 18, chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. Because he knows that man was created in his image. God doesn't want to be alone. So logic is that man himself should not be alone. Verse 19, And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found a helpmeet for him, you know, a help uh, that was uh, worthy uh, to be a help for him, and because uh, all he ha- all God had formed here were uh, other animals, you know, which includes dogs and cats and so forth, pets and things, uh, cattle, sheep, uh, goats, um, but there was not anything there that would uh, satiate Adam's desire for company. Verse 21, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now my bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So um, I've been through my stages where I uh, didn't particularly like being around people, (laughs) but God's created us to be gregarious, (laughs) whether you like it or not. God's created us to have people around us, okay? And uh, if we're humble to that, uh, because we've been created in his image, he knows we need human beings. We can't be alone. And uh, we've got this great assembly here where we can mingle with other human beings that have the same goal. Uh, they are people that are um, uh, good friends for us, good companions for us. And, uh, and th- th- in this story, that's what uh, God is saying. Like uh, you-, you need to have... Um, uh, a relationship with other people. Um, you can't just live your life with your pet. Uh, you need people in our lives, and uh, that's how God's created us. And if God's created us like that, that means He's like that also. Um, and so here in the Garden of Eden, this uh, idyllic situation. But then uh, we turn over to uh, Genesis chapter three and verse eight. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, and it said, And they, being Adam and Eve, 
after they'd eaten of the uh, forbidden fruit, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. Now I'm going to stop there. The reason I've selected those verses is, um, this is the only time it's described like this, but I would assume that before Adam and Eve rejected God, right, uh, decided to ignore his commandments and ignore his will, and they ate of that fruit, before that, They were walking in the garden with God, right? So in the morning, in the cool of the morning, God's there walking around in the garden. And they were ashamed at this point, so they hid themselves. But before they were ashamed, they would have been walking around the garden with God. We can't imagine what that would be like, but this is what happened. There was a a close relationship where they could talk one-on-one, face-to-face with God while they followed his Ways and uh, and listen to his commandments when they decided to do their own thing, do that which was pure in their own eyes. That's when this relationship broke down. But what that says in that verse was there was a very close friendship there between God and people, particularly Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Um, and then what's just wonderful is, um, yes, they, uh, they rejected God and uh, can you imagine how God would have felt, okay? We can imagine how God would have felt because we were created in his image. Uh, he would have been gutted. Uh, absolute, and because they sinned and because of the purity of God, God could not look upon them or be with them anymore. It, it, it wasn't like God threw them out of the garden. It wasn't that, um, oh, just that he was angry at them and looked, go away, I don't want to see you anymore, what it was that he couldn't see them anymore because they sinned. They weren't pure anymore. Um, God still yearned for a relationship. It was just a pragmatic thing. They would have been destroyed if he didn't reject them out of the garden, uh, if they saw him face to face. And uh, after that, though, he helped, still helped them. We know that he made clothes for them. Um, yes, there are a couple of curses there, but uh, through that, he found a way to bless them as well. Uh, just this gracious God that we have. And, uh, and then from that point, there's all sorts of things that happened. Uh, go to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6 and uh, verse 5. So we've got Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. And it says, at this point in time, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. You know, it grieved him at his heart, that emotional aspect there. It's uh, put all this effort into creating these people in his own image to have a relationship with them, and now they were evil continually and grieved him. And it says in verse 7, And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But 
Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But there was someone still there, okay, that God can have a relationship with. And he'll destroy the others but build up a new people from Noah to have this relationship with. And I was just thinking then, like the title of this talk is A Friend. And I'm sure we've had friendships in the past where you thought it was your best friend and they did something that totally gutted you and you could not look at them because that's all you could think of. You know, and that's what, uh, what God was like. It's like he had these friends and they just gutted him so much. But he still wanted that relationship, so he found someone. He found someone in all the earth um, in that area and uh, that wasn't continually evil and uh, to build up a new people. Uh, and that was this bloke called Noah to, to carry on that relationship and that friendship. And there are other times as well, I won't go through it, that uh, God was uh, pretty stroppy with his chosen people in the wilderness. And at one point he said to, to Moses, look, get out of the way, I'll wipe them out, and of you I'll have a people. So it's like this, the Lord is constantly trying. He's constantly trying to uh, have this relationship. But because of sin and because of the nature of man, thinking that they're right in their own eyes, that it just uh, builds this barrier between God and them. Uh, but God's always been there, yearning for it. Uh, go to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 31. Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 31. And it says here, just this one verse, says, And in the wilderness, where thou hast seen how the Lord thy God bare thee, as a man doth bear his son, in all the way that you went until you came to this place. And this place being the promised land, Canaan, that it was known at the time. Uh, there were many other people there, but it was uh, collectively known as Canaan. And they were there settled in the promised land. But here... I just wanted, this is the, uh, this aspect that um, God, um, where, uh, yeah, so bear thee, that's the word it uses there. So as uh, the nation of Israel were moving through the wilderness, they were away from their promised land. They were still God's people. But it says there that God bear them just as a man does his son. Okay? And that's, the, that's how God saw his chosen people. Like as precious as his own son, okay, and uh, and cared for them and reached out for them to be a part of their lives and to bless them. Another aspect, um, Jeremiah thirty-one. So a very uh, popular passage. This one in Jeremiah thirty-one. So this obviously I'm building a picture of how God uh, wants to be toward a people. It hasn't changed. He wants to be like toward us too, to bear us like a father bears a son, to have a, a, a friendship with us like he, he did have with Adam and Eve. Um, Jeremiah 31 and verse 31. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord. Excuse me that I'll make a new covenant 
with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand, okay, like a father bears a son, took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, you know, the nature of mankind, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. There you go. That's how God saw his relationship with his chosen people that he called Israel was he viewed himself as a husband to them. And then the other side of that is he viewed them as his wife. That is how close it was. One flesh. We read that in um, Genesis. God wanted to be like one flesh. And, uh, and that was how close he wanted to be to a people. Okay? A husband and wife come together. They are one flesh. They are one, practically one unit. Two individuals, but they come together as one unit, which is amazing. It's a mystery. And that's how God wants to be. Yes, there's the aspect of bearing him, holding him by the hand like a, a father does a son, but the other aspect, all intertwined in that, is a husband to a wife. You know, these are deep relationships. This is deeper than just a friend, you know, if you want to be flippant about the word friend. It's a deep relationship that he wants with a people. And uh, he's reflecting here that even though he's chosen people, he called them his wife his only espoused wife, even though they rejected him, did their own thing, you know, even though they did all that, he still saw himself as his husband to them. But then he's talking about a new time. The days will come later. Verse 33, but this shall be the covenant, the new covenant, the new um, deal that we have. It shall be the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I'll put my law in their inward parts. He'll dwell within and write it in their, sorry, and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbour and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I'll remember their sin no more. God will put an instinct in us. You know, uh, I remember as a child dwelling, thinking, how do I really know my mum and dad are really my mum and dad? <laughs> I wasn't there. <laughs> you know, like, I just believe what they're saying. But there was, there was this weird instinct in me. I realised when I dwelled on it a bit longer that, yes, I get it. They're my mum and dad. It's in me. And that's what God wants to do today. He wants to put this bizarre instinct in us where we know that he's our father, where we know it. And uh, we heard in testimony this, uh, this um, yeah, like what's called a revelation, what's been revealed. That's all. The word revelation is banded around a lot, but it just comes from the word reveal. It's been revealed to us that he's our father. It's that deep instinct that we know, okay? Just like we know our own dear mum and dad is actually our mum and dad. And that's what he wants. We've been created in his image. James chapter 2. James chapter 2. 
and verse 19. James chapter 2 and verse 19. Thou believest that there is one God. Okay? Thou doest well. Well done. Jolly good show. You believe there's one God. You do well. But, turns out, the devils also believe and they tremble. They have a fear before God as well. So it's not a wonderful thing or a great thing that you may think that you believe there's one God because even the devils do and they actually tremble at it and are fearful at it knowing that there is an end. And it says in verse 20, But wilt thou know, O vain man, O vain man that is pure in your own heart, in your own mind, that faith without works is dead. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. He was a good mate of God uh, because he did what God wanted him to do. He showed his love for God by following his commandments. We'll read that later. Verse 24. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And that's the other example is Rahab. She was a harlot. You know, she was uh, the lowest of the low in the eyes of the Lord, living in complete sin. But there was a point where she showed her faith. Yes, she believed in God, uh, but that wasn't enough to get her to be saved from the destruction of Jericho. She did something. She believed in God, she trembled, which we read, but she did something and helped out the spies and received these messengers and was saved from the destruction because of what she did. And this is the example, and then it it goes on further in 26. Like This example here is like the body without the spirit is dead. We know that when the spirit leaves us, our soul leaves us, people are dead. You know, there's no life in them. In the same way, we can have faith, we can think we have faith, But it means nothing unless you do something about it. You act. And these examples of Abraham and Rahab are very poignant ones to show how real it is to prove your faith, to prove that, yes, you do believe and you act upon it. Um, John chapter 15. John chapter 15 and verse 10. John chapter 15 and verse 10. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. In other words, uh, his love will completely cover us, even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So there's the example. Jesus came as an example of how to have a relationship with God. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy 
might remain in you and that your joy might be full because we know our Father. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends. Jesus Christ is referring to us as being his friends. If you do whatsoever, I command you. So the way we can be friends is by doing what he asks us to do. You know, not what we think's right or what we prefer to do, even if it might be uncomfortable, but he's asked us to do it. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. It's like uh, your really close friend in uh, times of quietness, just one-on-one. You're so comfortable with that friend that you talk to them about things that are deep within you. That's a good friend. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's calling himself our friend. He's calling us his friend. So we can share deep things with him and he understands and he's a part of us, our lives. Over to chapter 14, back to 14, verse 15. John chapter 14 and verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments and I'll pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. So his comforter will be given to us to abide with us forever, which is even the spirit of truth. And we read that in Jeremiah, the spirit of truth, knowing what his commandments are in us, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Right? This thing called a comforter, this thing called a spirit of truth, will be in us. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. Because, as we know, he died, uh, but then he was risen again. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. That comforter will dwell within us. And that's Jesus Christ, the spirit of truth. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loves me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father. And I'll love him and will manifest myself to him. Show himself to us today. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he'll keep my words, and my father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him, or they'll live with us. He that loves me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, that spirit of truth, Jesus Christ, dwelling in us, it's the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. He shall teach you all things, referring to Jeremiah again, 
and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. God wants us to be at peace, okay? And yes, there's a certain element of peace that we get from worldly things, things here on earth, right? Um, You know, even our house, you know, there's locks on the door. Uh, We sleep at night in a nice warm bed. We're comfortable. There's peace there. Um, But God wants to give us a different sort of peace, a peace that's within. Uh, We're talking about the comforter that will dwell within us, that Jesus will be in us and we'll be in him. That's the peace he's talking about, the true Jehovah Shalom. God of peace will be within us, different to what we can get from elsewhere. Back to our John chapter 4. John chapter 4 and verse 19. John chapter 4 and verse 19. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So this lady uh, that Jesus is talking to is a Samaritan, and, uh, and part of the Samaritan's um, worship was to worship in this mountain. But then she says, she acknowledges that Jesus Christ is an Israelite and says, but you say in Jerusalem you worship. So these people, the Samaritans and the Israelites, were doing what they thought was right, okay? Um, It turns out the Israelites were following God's commandments straight out of the Old Testament, but this woman who was a Samaritan was putting effort in to doing the right thing, trying to do the right thing, what she thought was right. Okay, and we heard testimony from people who uh, used to go to other churches and they thought they were right. They thought they were doing the right thing, uh, putting that effort in. But then, verse 21, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. So either way, it's going to stop. You know, wor- worshipping God properly, either in the mountain or in Jerusalem, it doesn't matter. It's not how God wants it to be done, that doing word. Verse 22, you worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And that's logical. God's a spirit. We understand that. We know that. And so we need the spirit to be able to worship him properly. And that truth bit, that's the actions. That's the things we do. We follow his commandments. And, uh, and, and that's how we prove that we love him and we're a part of him. Uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, just to emphasise how important this spirit is, the Holy Spirit, as we read in uh, John 14, the comforter, the spirit of truth, that the, uh, the, 
that dwells in us, that's a part of us and we in it. You know, it's all very deeply connected. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh. We don't follow the things of the flesh. Yeah, fair enough. We are still made of flesh and blood, but we don't follow the things of the flesh. But in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. There's that uh, indwelling. It's true. It's what happens. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. The only way you can be a part of the kingdom of God is through the Holy Spirit. And uh, God himself is a spirit. And so to be one with God being a spirit, we need this spirit in us. Otherwise, you are none of his. Uh, Just to finish up in Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19 and verse 1. Acts chapter 19 and verse 1. So we know this is New Testament time. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. You can read that in chapter 2. So this is after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, after the outpouring of the Spirit of Truth, after the outpouring of the Comforter. And we come to this point In Acts chapter 19 and verse 1, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. And disciples, as we heard last week, comes from the word discipline. So these disciples were disciplined. They were doing things in a way that they thought was right. Okay? Verse 2, And he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost? Since you believed. So these were people that believed. Okay, It's not enough just to believe. And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Okay, These disciples had never even heard of the Holy Ghost. And then Paul said unto them, Unto what then were you baptised? They were even baptised. And they said unto John's baptism. Right Now Paul's got all this background information about these people. Right, They've been baptised. Unto John's baptism, they've never even heard of the Holy Ghost. They're disciples, they're disciplined, following the things of what they think God wants them to do. Um, And then it says in verse 4, Then Paul started to explain it and said, Look, John verily baptised with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. Now when they heard this, they were baptised again, in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men, or people, were about 12. Okay, these 12 people were there. They got baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus, the full package. They prayed for the Holy Spirit, and they spoke in tongues. Now they are in a place where they can worship in spirit and in truth. In them, God has put their laws into their inward parts. He's put that instinct in them to know that God is their father, that spirit of truth, that guidance, that desire to follow his commandments so that then they can be disciples another way, disciplined in a way that God wants them to be disciplined. And this applies today. You know, God wants us to be disciplined, uh, us to be refined, knowing what to do. And wonderful thing is that God's given us this Bible, this book that's got a boring cover. 
has amazing words in it. He's given us guidance in this book of what to do and how to please him. Uh, and, it's, and he helps us as well, that comforter, that help in need, that friend, uh, that um, reassuring friend to help us to follow his commandments and do his will, that we can have a true and deep relationship with him. Okay, thank you.